Research for what? Hello and welcome to Research for What, the podcast that discusses scientific research, its purpose and impact. I'm your host, Ron Bouvray. Each week, I will interview recognized thought leaders who share the same passion for science and research and invest the energy, time or money. We will talk about the challenges and opportunities for research. I'm also very keen to find out how experts define impact and what methods they use to measure it. Every week, I will ask the question, research for what? In this episode, I'm going to talk with Dr. Mariam Parvis, the founder and CEO of SDIP Innovations. In April 2019, Mariam received a two-year fellowship from New South Wales Health to advance commercialization of SDIP Innovations biodegradable implants. She's currently based at the QB3 incubator at the University of California, San Francisco, and UCSF Rosenman Institute. Mariam, hello, and thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Ram. Thank you so much for having me. Mariam, I know you studied biomedical engineering at the Amikabia University in Tehran and completed a PhD at the Australian Centre for Nanomedicine in Sydney in 2016. Why don't you start by telling me what happened since and what brought you to the QB3 incubator? What made you create SDIP Innovations? Sure. So, as you said, I did my bachelor and master in biomedical engineering back in Iran in, uh, and then I worked for uh, medical device companies in Iran for two years, and I was just really amazed. I was in the sensing area, and I was really amazed by the works that was done with uh, a professor like Justin Gooding, Professor Justin Gooding in Australia, and I applied to do my PhD with him. I got the scholarship. I moved to Australia, and I did my PhD with Justin Gooding, and uh, it was just all an amazing development in my personality and also in uh, professional and like just learning the science. After, after that, uh, when I finished my PhD, during my postdoc, I took a course in a medical device commercialization course, basically, that's sponsored by New South Wales government and was operated by Ben Wright in Cicada Innovations. And I can say that that was the turning point where I was realizing that like the whole great science that um, people do in the labs, like in the, um, doesn't matter in Gooding lab or other labs, is there are just some stuffs that are immediately ready to go through commercialization. And there are some that, yes, needs 20 years of more research and development in the university. But I just got to the perspective of how we can translate research and why we need to be really proactive for that in the medical device field. So that was the turning point personally for me from research to commercialization. During my postdoc, I worked closely on research translation and commercialization of research. I worked with two startups, so I was spending 50% of my time in uh, University of Technology City and 50% in a startup. So it again was just exactly the bridge that I was looking for between research and commercialization. And uh, for a little while, uh, while I also worked in the like research office in the university and all of that uh, research experience that I had bumped me to start my own startup and see just experience this journey by myself and see how we can take a great technology 
hopefully to the market and to, to the clinicians' hands. Great. So what, uh, can we talk about the, the technology you're working on now and what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah, sure. So we are actually trying to revolutionize the way, uh, the way that the bone implant processes are done right now. Yes. So we are developing the next generation of bioresorbable implants, the implants that in orthopedic area, they are in the body, they fix the bone, and then they just resorb, and then they get replaced by natural bone. What we do is a platform biomaterial, basically, that we have been able to position it in terms of what we want to make out of it in terms of product based on the market need and the regulatory pathway and the need that is there for the patients. So that's what we do at the step. So how did you develop the solution? So uh, really, look, uh, Ram, you know better than me. When it comes to high-tech and deep-tech, like medical device, it, it needs years and years of research background. And yes. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of having the technical people right in the foundry team because if, especially when it comes to, I said, like, I can't just talk about medical device here. And when it comes to medical device, I'm a big believer of you need to have the technical person as a founder because it's the innovation that will be pivoted, pivoted until you get the final product and you just need the inventor behind it, right in the team all the time, full time, full committed. So my core, the technology that we are working on is actually the technology that my co-founder invented through his study in the University of Sydney and then his postdoc in Westmead Hospital. He developed the idea. And then in the past two years that he has been uh, full-time focused in the startup, he even has developed the technology, the formulation, the manufacturing design behind what was developed in the university. Right. So everything started at the University of Sydney. My co-founder background is biomedical engineering and uh, tissue engineering, uh, Dr. Iman Manavi. And so obviously he had the background and then he really became a specialist in bone implants, biomaterial and tissue engineering, as you said, in the University of Sydney in Westmead Hospital. And uh, that's where it started. How did you start? Why did you think you needed to create a startup and not continue as a research project? Yeah, exactly. So that's a good question because it's a really different. Like we need both. We need the research that is going to be research for, for a while. We definitely need that. And we need a research that needs, uh, it's just, a, it can just be a product in a like reasonable time if you just focus on commercialization of that product. The need is there. The, you see the pathway of making that product is cost effective and the product is needed by the market. So it's just it's just a decision that is, I think it's not an overnight decision, if you like. It's a decision that you need to consider by looking at the technology, by looking at the people that are happy to take these risks with you, and also by looking at your personal like life, how you're going to basically live, and how you're going to financially afford commercialize, commercializing and to going through a startup because it's full of full of insecurities, full of uh, basically up and down times. So really needs you to be tough and to be prepared and to be really sure about the decision that you are the one who wants to take this technology to the market. So there are some studies, especially here in the U.S., 
uh, studios who take your technology as a, you can be a surgeon and you can continue what you do and you just work with a studio that they take care of commercialization while they work closely with you. So that's one model. And the other model is that you as an inventor have the possibility to take full time out of uh, where you work, like either it's hospital or university, and then focus on commercialization. It's really which way you go really depends on what's the product, and what's, who is the team, what's the, how long it's going to take, uh, what's the financial aspects, what's the personal aspects. So maybe we, we come back to this later because I'd like to discuss the differences between Australia and the US. But what made you decide to go from Australia to the US? What attracted you there? So in our case, actually, the product that we have, the first regulatory pathway for us is through uh, FDA, so, you know, in medical device, before you be able to legally market your product, you need to receive the regulatory in Australia, it's TGA in the in US, it's FDA. And the pathway of acquiring regulatory is different from one product to the other. In our case, like commercially, it was more viable and more reasonable to uh, chase for FDA approval in the first place. And also for... Uh, like in market size point of view, it's uh, it's uh, like 20 times bigger market. But definitely we are not, we haven't moved here permanently. So we are here on based on a fellowship. And this fellowship was awarded because we had a really good reason that why we are persuading FDA and why as scientists, we need the support that will be provided here through our commercialization journey. And so now you're located at the very prestigious UCSF and the QB3 incubator. Are these good environments for you? I honestly, I have to say that, so it has come with a lot of sacrifice, like personally, when you move from another country to the other, and I have, uh, I have a little kid. So, but I cannot compare it to any other experience. And I cannot say that how much it has been game changer for our a startup and also for us just as like in our personal development in this journey i think uh, in australia it's great we're doing really high quality research we actually have high quality for every single element that you need in a startup but probably the way that they talk to each other it's something that hopefully will improve in australia we are learning in the U.S., I think it's just the way that these elements, like the regulatory, IP, university, incubators, the way that they communicate and they come together is the difference, to my, according just to my experience, I have to say. So my individual experience is that you can find great elements in Australia, definitely, for research. We have high quality. We have a great support from government for doing research and commercialization. Yes, definitely rooms for improvement, but they are really high quality. As I mentioned, like IP, university, CROs that we have in animal study, in human study, they are all high quality. But I think what we really lack is that how they communicate together and how they come to get together to get one product elevated to the market. So what do you mean by that? Is it easier to talk to people? Is it easier to find people or is it easier to find a common interest? So I, I would say it's um, it's just easier to to talk. So basically for 
for a startup, it's just a lot of different elements that comes together. So it's the technical aspects, it's the team, it's IP, it's market research and other uh, like the design of the studies, manufacturing, and all of them, like the way that they talk to each other and they communicate, it's just, I think, more defined and has been more experienced here. So by saying that, I mean, they communicate better. So for example, we are in uh, QB3 and Rosenman incubator. It's just, we have access at the same time to clinicians, to manufacturing advisors and experts to IP experts and they all meet from time to time and these all elements works together if for example if you have animal study that needs to be designed and then you have a facility somewhere in the university you just these people just know each other I think it's just a lot of events a lot of passion and I think it's just a matter of time. Like they, they have been through it for a long time. So by experience, they just know how to work better together as a, as a collection, not as individuals. Right. And so your solution, as we discussed, is really research-based. But there are many startups, in, even in medtech, that don't have research-based, evidence-based solutions. And you said you've also, you, you continue to involve your founder, uh, co-founder Iman. Was, yeah. a, was an expert, a specialist, a researcher by training. How, how big was this advantage for you that it was research-based? Yeah, I think it's, it's a reality. When you, are a, when you just start a startup in medical device, your final product is not in your hand right away. So we have to admit that the research and development continue even after you. It's not, it's not as you said, it's not true about all technologies and all cases. Here, I'm just... Uh, more focus on deep tech technologies, something like IT, medical device, therapeutic solutions. So during the first, I don't know, depends, few months, few years, it's just uh, where you take the minimum viable product to the final finished product that you want to present to regulatory. So that's why, uh, so it's basically research and development that comes with other elements such as in this research and development, you need to consider your market need. The design should be according to all, all ISO requirements, regulatory requirements, GLP, GMP. So it just comes with a different regulation, the research and development that is done in a startup compared to the university. But for deep tech, I think we should be proud of the fact that research and development will continue for Sometimes you need to manage it. It needs to be by plan. It needs to be all under quality management system. But research and development is a fact that will continue in uh, deep tech startups, basically, until they get to the final finished product. That's a lot of elements to learn and to, to, to manage at the same time. And I'm curious to hear how you learned all of this. And I think you said you, you embedded yourself in the right environment. But early on, you, you took a lot of risks as well. Uh, where did you learn everything you had to learn? So I have to say, Ram, it's a, it's a learning curve. So it's, it's learning every day and it's never perfect. So I'm talking to you right now. I'm sure that in, in six months, I have learned much more. But what happens is that, so 
the basics came. So I had I have had the research background in biomedical engineering, and then I took the medical device uh, commercialization course. Uh, again, that was like for me, it was like someone teaching me the alphabet of business. I I worked in industry before, but I never was an entrepreneur before. So for me, it was just learning the language, and then after that, when uh, it was it just gave me a different perspective when I was talking to industry and companies. I was seeing things from their point of view as well, not just as a researcher. So because for a while I worked between university and industry. And I, I knew that when they were saying that, for example, I wanted to be like precise or repeatable, that means different for researcher when it's a research in university. And for a for an engineer, which when it's a research and development in a company, so I think the right environment, the right course courses that are available, and also this is something that I would say that yes, doing a lot of management course is great, but this is something that you would learn it when you do it, and uh, that's why I say it's a learning curve and it's uh, it hasn't finished yet. But I think uh, the best way of learning. The startup language, the commercialization, research commercialization, if you want to really be, you should have the skin in the game, basically, and be involved in it and grow with it or fail with it. doesn't matter, but you will grow. How about your team? Where do you find the skills and how do you know which skills you need in your team? So that's a very important point, I have to say. So one thing is that the foundry team, so that's like early days, your founder really it should be someone that you are willing to spend days, nights, uh, like working together. So it's a very important decision. And you should have like kind of complementary skills uh, and uh, being willing to be flexible and learn different skills. So that's the foundry team that is a completely different story. And when you want to expand the team, I think we one of the things that we I'm so proud of is the team that we have been together. We have been like gathering together the people that we have been gathering together from US and from Australia. And the way is that I would say there is there is no formula, but someone that comes to your advisory team either brings an experience that your foundry team is lacking. So basically you sit with your founder, uh, other co-founders and you honestly go through the skills that you you lack in the executive team, in the human resource. For example, if you are a technical founder, you say, okay, I need someone with marketing experience. So people with, you target people with the huge marketing experience in the same sector. And next step is that your chemistry should also match because it's a lot of time that you spend together. Or you sometimes you have to pick your advisory team based on they might not bring exactly executive and exactly like they don't make they may not perform any action in the company but they may bring names and experience that will give you credit for example and i'm i'm not afraid of saying that for example you bring someone that is trusted in in a field and that person looks at at your business endorses you uh, it's just a credit that you get and you acknowledge in return by having them in your um, advisory board or in your board. I think for us, we have been focused at the beginning. We were focused on let's complete 
the business team and the clinical team. And our business advisor, Fred, uh, we actually have had a new adi- addition to our team. So we, Fred Dinger is a guy that we met uh, through QB3 and Rosenman executive advisory program that they have. And he, he actually has been in the same field as what we are trying to be part of in boning plants for past 20 years. And he has sold three medical device companies in similar fields to big players. And we met several times. He's based in Texas. We are here in Bay Area, uh, in San Francisco. We have, we have just traveled. He has traveled. We have met. And then we have had numerous times of phone calls before we have any formal agreement just to see if it's a win-win game, if the chemistries work. And then having clinicians for a, for a technology like us, have clinicians on board from the development, product development phase onward is very important because our surgeon, so we are a biomaterial company, so we always get our two surgeons to touch our material whenever there is an improvement or change. We get to talk to them about the design. We have been into, in the surgery theater a couple of times just uh, to listen to them, to look at the surgery procedure and see how we should design our product and what sh- we should have in mind. So you the must- other thing is that the great people will bring great people in. So when we uh, brought in Fred, for example, then he just brought another three member of his previous companies to our team, people with regulatory, manufacturing and quality management expertise. So it's just you meet one person, your expertise are kind of completing each other and your chemistry are working. They are already experienced and well-known and they bring other people. So that's also one way how it can work. You moved to the US about 13 months ago. Did you have to build all this network from scratch? Yes, we moved here 13 months ago, but uh, just being part of this incubator here, a startup incubator, QB3, and Rosenman Institute is an institute inside the QB3, which is like dedicated 100% just to medical device. So the, it's like kind of peace of mind for, for people who are looking to be part of a startups. They are already like experienced, expertise, and they are looking for a startups to be part of. And they just go through the incubators that have been successful in the past, have the great people in their board. So basically they have trust in the name of these incubators. And when you come from with that affiliation, it's it just makes it easier for you to connect with pe- people. There are like events, dinners that are whole, uh, like a lot of them, you know, it's it's really easy to find people where we are, like geographically, it's easy. But I think a lot of people are passionate about research and innovation in Australia, in the U.S., and uh, we just should not be afraid to ask people for a coffee or lunch and just show them your passion and be clear with what you need in your team and where you're going and how committed you are to this journey. And I think you just try to find the right people. Do you still have um, connections in Australia? Do you still do work with Australians? Yes. Yeah, so basically, we actually have are doing 90% of our 
research and development back in Australia, our animal study that is going to be the main requirement by FDA for our first product, which is bone, uh, bone white fillers for in different shapes. It comes in different shapes and with different properties for as bone filler. It actually is the animal study, the manufacturing, the sterilization, everything is happening in Australia. So do you have to travel between the two places? We have to, but actually the first uh, four months that I moved here, I uh, came back to Australia, I think in four months, three times. But then after a while, it just settled down and whoever that we had in our loop of working together, they just got used to it. And I think if there is one thing that COVID just let us learn was that we always can work virtually. Yes, first time it's the best to meet. But after that, if there is the possibility of some doing something virtually, why not? Can I ask about funding? How did you secure early early funding? Sure. So when we started, we actually went through an incubator. We gave up on some equity and we got some cash just, just to survive and uh, just to pay the bills and mortgage. That was the med lab in Cicada. And then we also applied with for like many different grants and we got one of them, uh, which turned out to be the New South Wales Health Government program with in partnership with QB3 and Rosenman, which also enabled us to use the lab facility and office space here as you came in last time and we spent time together here. What are the challenges you're working on now? What are you what keeps you up at night? Don't tell me nothing. <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm just thinking that I'm I'm usually not a very calm person. <laughs> so it's easy for me to stay stay up at nights, but really if one thing has changed in me in compared to like to, from it's almost two years that I'm full time in a startup. I think I just have learned that it's not gonna finish soon. And it's <laughs> so I have to I have to get just come down and get some sleep. And every day just keep doing that. But definitely, I would say capital, raising capital is really hard for early stage companies. And I have been up a lot of nights just thinking about how we're going to like provide and be able to deliver the business and get some investors. So the, lots, a, lot of low, <laughs> a lot of highs. And how do you go through the lows? So uh, I would say having a good co having a good co-founder is the key. It's like if you have a good marriage, it's great, and if you have a bad one, it's really terrible. So it's the same, I would say, with <laughs> founder team because one day uh, one day you are up, the uh, other person is down. So it's really important to have a founder uh, co-founders that uh, not only can understand not, not only can work you but also can understand your personality and can be encouraging when you are down and the other thing is that i think uh, it's really important to just take care of the mental health and just um, before I, I start a startup i never was regularly exercising i now i feel like if i don't do that I, like it's it's i cannot continue so i would say just trying to stick to routines, uh, exercise, and find the right people around you, especially the co-founder is really important. And talking about the highs, what were some big highs for you? I, I would say that I, I really, I would say honestly, when uh, I see the 
like big people and the people are that have done it before they are interested to join the team without taking any cash they want option they want equity it just shows that they want to invest their time and they see a future it's like kind of encouraging you that yes just do it and there is something that even like great people so i think the team and people who have joined us it has been like a really great high for me it's just it's just encouraging and it's just a, it just gives you the confidence that there is a there is a light at the end of the tunnel how far are you from working with patients with people yeah sure sure so with uh, our first products we are aiming to res- uh, to get our 510k which is a fda clearance and fda approval by the end of by the end of 2021 so it's 18 months away and that's the worst case scenario like we have saved like eight seven months for things that will go wrong for sure Uh, based on experience and then after having the regulatory approval we will towards the end of before we receive the regulatory we will start a feasibility human study in australia and also when we receive the 510k clearance our uh, we have surgeon champions that are basically motivated and engaged to start the human studies so i would say in from 18 months from now on yeah hopefully we can see that uh, surgeons are using our products first product so you keep talking about australia the us uh, you studied in iran what have you learned what are the differences between these places do you think in the us they have experienced the startup ecosystem probably for a longer time compared to australia so it's uh, as i said it's not like a one night change but they have experienced it for a long time so the fundamentals are more in the place in terms of how people are eager to hear about new technology and uh, see how their expertise matched like everyone wants to help like not just like people are nice everyone wants to be part of something amazing because they have seen the great companies like that one day they no one could think that they will become a big thing so there is a big formal fear of missing out uh, in the US that i think we need more of that in australia we need to feel more like fear of missing out of being part of something that can be great and if it doesn't we still have been part of something great and we have just developed i think basically i would say that uh, it's less relaxed system everyone is so passionate to be part of a startup journey uh, from academics to clinicians and even the legal firms they give you so for our legal firm for example they have put delayed payment for us it means that they do everything for us and we pay them when we raise <laughs> so it's deferred payment so yeah so it's just so i think based on experience it's just well defined here uh, they just want to be part of the startup and they see that they will benefit at the end so it's a long term investment for them we have like for animal studies we have got the details of how the animal study uh, need to be exactly designed that will fulfill the re- regulatory requirements and also will be useful later for commercialization here 
you call three, four companies, they provide the detailed plan in two days for you. In Australia, we had experience where we had to call it took two months and then they charge like 10K for providing the plan of the study. So I think it's just we are getting used to it, but definitely we are very privileged in Australia because of uh, the R&D tax incentives that we have in Canada. They have in the US, they don't have such a thing in with that like huge meaning. The grants that we have, the quality of the research that we have. And I think we are just getting there. But uh, in terms of how everything is in place and easy to access, uh, definitely U.S. is ahead because they just have been there long time before us. Sure, it, it, it makes sense. What, what about Iran? Um, yeah, sure. Iranian researchers actually yeah, so, very well respected. Yes, I, I wanted to say that. So in, in Iran, if you want to study engineering, you really need to be really top student in high school so the high and top students usually is it, that that's exactly the i think the opposite of many places but in iran the top students study engineering and then medicine or law or business so that's a trend in culture. So you see a lot of bright people, uh, I mean, excluding myself, uh, but you see a lot of bright people uh, studying engineering. And then when they uh, migrate, uh, of course, because of the financial problems and the lack of support, the commercialization is just not happening that much in Iran. But when they move to the other countries, they have acquired the skills that they need. And basically, they are an engineer ready to innovate. And I think that's uh, that's a good thing. Like the quality of the research is really high. But definitely in terms of commercialization, because of the insecurities on the financial aspects, uh, the government is not supportive. So the commercialization point of from commercialization point of view, it's not that strong. If you had a magic wand, what would you fix now for your business? <laughs> That's uh, mag- yeah. You know, my son's uh, my son watch a lot of magic and fer- uh, fairies and elves, <laughs> and I never thought of uh, that. But you don't need it. Mm, I yeah. I think I I would love to see one day our products in the patients. Mm, but I, yeah, I think it's just exactly the opposite of magic wand. It's just the process that it's going to time, it's going to get your energy and you really need to be tough. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have an answer for that. Probably money and capital. This is a great question. You don't need a magic wand. You want to live the experience. I think so. I think so. But at the end, you also want to like, it's, it's okay if you want to be rich or have the passion to be rich. I don't see any problem with that <laughs> as well. I mean, besides helping people, yeah. Mariam, I've taken a lot of your time. I'm very grateful. You've explained so much about your business, about you know, differences between different places. Your passion definitely comes through, all your experience. I had a great time. Thank you very much for taking the time to speaking with me. Thank you so much. And I wanted to say that I love Australia by like every single cell in my body because that has been a, like a great change in my life when I moved from Iran to Australia. And I wish the best for our startup ecosystem and research ecosystem. And I would do whatever I can do to, if I can, as a really, really, I'm nothing, 
But if I can do anything, I would do that. Thank you very much, Mayim. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Research for What. To connect and find more information about this episode, check out researchforwhat.com. Until next week. Research for What. <laughs>